good. So there's this story in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus comes into Jerusalem and uh, everybody's all excited. They're celebrating. And he kind of tells this little thing about how if the people didn't like cry out, the rocks would cry out, like just this tremendous noise. And then the RC kids roll in behind the rocks and they're like, hold my juice box and listen to this. You know, it's like so cool, man. Like, it's so loud. This is amazing. So give them another hand really quick because they were just the best. The best. So, also quick, funny story. So, uh, one of the things we love to do is provide our church with donuts on Sunday mornings. So that's a big draw, the donuts, man. From Henry's Donuts up in Monroe, everything else. We have awesome volunteers that bring those down every week. And so they stopped by the donut place today, and all the donuts were gone. Like, our stack of donuts were gone. And they're like, well, there was some guy came in, and he just kind of took your donuts, right? <laughs> And they're like, he had white hair. And I'm like, Santa took our donuts. <laughs> but hopefully he's distributing them to many, many people. And so our good friends, the Barnetts, love the Barnetts. They booked back up to Monroe. A Christmas miracle has happened. And you will have donuts by the end of service. And so, yeah. It's the little things, you know? So uh, shout out to the Barnetts for running up and doing that and everything else. And yeah, so you can give them a hand too. That's cool. That's cool. So... Good, good stuff. So we are in our series uh, looking at Advent, just taking some time of reflection. Again, I shared at the beginning of this series that, that my heart is that we would let Sunday morning be sort of sanctuary space amidst the holidays because we're all busy, we're doing things, we're going places, we're buying gifts, we're kind of the hustle and bustle certainly of this season. And we want Sundays to just be reflective, be the sense of... Um, just a restfulness as we are reflecting on the different Sundays of Advent and the different themes that we investigate, right? We've looked at things like peace and how peace comes from God. We've looked at hope and how hope is founded in God. And today we are certainly looking at an important theme, the theme of joy. And when I say that, I know that there's going to be some maybe watching or in the room this morning where uh, joy feels a little distant, maybe. Maybe there's things in life that are heavy, that are hard, that you're warring through right now. And so all the more, uh, I, I just want to make space for those who may be in that kind of uh, circumstance or situation right now. And, and I want to make space for all of us to just kind of reflect on God for a moment. And so as has been our tradition in this series, I'm going to give us a moment of silence where you can just kind of pray quietly there, just you and God. And then I'll pray, and then we'll kind of ease into our subject of the day and how we can find our joy in the presence of God. So let's go ahead and take a moment to bow our heads, just have a moment of silence, and then I'll go ahead and pray. Jesus, not only do we come before you today with hopefully um, open hands and open hearts to what you have, but we also come before you as a people who are dependent and needy. And, and I know probably there is a spectrum in this room or online today where we're in different spaces, right? Some, maybe this is just the best week ever, and for others, maybe this is one of the harder ones. And in that, we know that you are our place of solace and sanctuary. And so I pray this morning as we uh, investigate a familiar theme, certainly to this season, 
uh, that it wouldn't just be words, but it would be something that is experienced and felt, and from that we express it in our world. And so I ask for your guidance, I ask for your care, your comfort, and a sense of your presence this day. And I thank you that you have come into the world to change the world, to change our lives, to be change agents in our world. And I pray that we will absorb that calling and we will live out your best in our world. Because you are our best, and you've given us your best. And so I thank you for this day, I thank you for this season, and I thank you that our hope and our peace and our joy is anchored in you. And so Jesus, we love you and we thank you in your good and kind name. Amen. So joy, joy is the theme of the day, and it makes sense that it is because joy is a popular theme in the Christmas season. Right? You've probably already been out shopping to the mall and things like that, and you'll see just giant posters, those three letters, J-O-Y, they're plastered everywhere. You're going to see it on ornaments and wrapping paper. You'll hear the music in the background, and repeatedly there's this theme of joy. And I go, there should be. Because when it comes to the Christmas season, what Christmas is all about is Jesus. Jesus is God, and God, are you ready? God is infinitely joy filled. God is joyful. And I think this is important because I think sometimes when we think about God the Father, we, we get this kind of stoic, stodgy, serious appearance in our mind, like there's this old dude with a big beard on a throne, and he's really, really intense. And that's God. But those images are broken, and they're wrong. Because when we read through the Bible, we see the sense of God's person and his characteristics, and we see that he is actually really, really joyful. In fact, repeatedly, like in Romans chapter 9, 1 Timothy chapter 1, it talks about God being the blessed God. And this word blessed isn't just like happy hands. It's like deep, profound joy. That's blessed. We see in Zephaniah chapter 3, that God is so infinitely joyous that he sings with delight over his people. Even Jesus himself gave us this invitation. And he said, enter into the joy of of your master. Like we can enter into a space where we sense and experience the joy of God in our own lives. So joy is a huge, huge theme of the Christmas season because, man, joy is a theme all about Jesus. And so I want to be clear what I'm talking about here is that God is outrageously and contagiously joyful, and he wants you to experience that which is true of him. He wants you into, to enter into that space. See, for me, when I think about Christianity, I, I can't help but think when I read the Bible, it's meant to be a movement of joy. Like, grace is our brand, right? That's our jam. Like, when you think about Christianity versus other world faiths, the unique um, component, right, the word that it's anchored by is grace, we love grace. We dig grace. We as a church want to err on the side of grace and be gracious to others in our lives. So grace is the center point. Over 150 times, the New Testament talks about grace. But I believe that the grace of God is meant to lead us to the joy that is found in God, which is why the New Testament speaks of, of joy over 300 times. Right? That's a headline. That's a big idea. Right? That we're meant to have it, we're meant to live it, we're meant to offer it to others. I mean, all of that is in there. But the thing I wrestle with, even in my own life, just transparently, is that while I see it as a monumental theme, uh, sometimes I find it elusive in my own life. 
and maybe you do as well. And that kind of begs the question, if the Bible makes such a big deal about joy, and God promises to give us joy, and we're meant to sense joy, then why does it seem so elusive? Why do we tend to worry it away, or waste it away, or pursue other things, and they get in the way of experiencing true joy? Like, what's the thing that causes us to miss out on this incredible attribute? Well, I think that element is kind of this same part of the story we keep going to through the Advent season. We have to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. We go back to the first page, in fact, and it starts in a garden. I always bring us back to that through the Advent season because the whole story of Advent is going from our origins in Genesis all the way through to the birth of Jesus and all the way up to today. That whole epic story of God is the Advent story up to our own lives right now. And so when I take us back to our origins, we see how it all starts. It starts awesome. There they are. It's the man and the woman. They're there in a garden. Everything is good. Everything is right. Everything is ripe. Everything is purposeful. Everything is situated. And in that space, they have peace, and they have, uh, we said, actually, it really didn't have hope because they didn't need it because things were so good. They weren't hoping for a better tomorrow. It was always good. But in there, they had joy. They had joy. But here's what I want to be clear about when it came to the joy of Eden. It wasn't based on the conditions. Because we could think that. Well, of course they had joy. There was no problems yet. I go, well, that's true, but that wasn't the source of their joy. The source of their joy was the fact that in Eden was also God. They had unrestricted access. And where God is, joy is. In fact, thousands of years later, King David would write about this very concept. He says, kind of in this moment of prayerful worshipfulness, speaking to God, he says, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, God, there is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So like David gives us a sense that where God is, joy is, right? They're, they're kind of bound together in this sense of oneness. And so they're in Eden, Adam and Eve are with God, and with God there is joy, right? We want to have that circuit there. But then we know rebellion came. And as rebellion enters into the scene, this spirit of deep rejoicing managed to flee away. And I want you to notice the catalyst again. So we know they sin, they rebel, they realize that they're naked, and they feel ashamed of this. And then they hear God beginning to move into the garden. So they, they hide. We pick it up in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 3. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. And this is what I want us to notice. They hid themselves from the presence of God. So in God's presence is the fullness of joy. And now joy in its own manifestation of God himself comes into the garden, and they hide from presence. And when they hide from presence, they hide from from joy. And so they hide in their shame, they hide in their insecurity, and they hide away from the only source of lasting true joy. And so, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Okay, if some of you don't believe there are prophets today, I got news for you. Man, I, w- I wish the band was up here. We could just boom, 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 boom. You know, that would have been awesome. Love it, love it. All right. So, uh-oh. As a race, we lost joy. Right? That's what happened. 
So when it happens with the man and the woman in Eden, they get expelled from the garden, they get expelled from the presence of God, they get expelled from joy, and that still continues into our lives today. Right? The whole human race struggles with this very concept. Because joy, again, is not found in ideal conditions. And I want to anchor that point for a second. Because that's what we tend to believe. If life could just be this way, if my finances could be that way, if my marriage could be just like this, if my kids would be just like that, then I'll have joy. No, joy is not found in conditions. Happiness might be found in conditions. We're going to talk about that in a second. But joy is not going to play by those same rules, and it doesn't need the conditions to be right to have joy. We just need the presence of God. But with the absence of the presence of God, we lost the joy. And so we began then looking for, for substitutes, surrogates, right? Because if, if we don't have God's presence and we don't have true, deep, lasting joy outside of the conditions, then we got to settle for something. So we settled for this surrogate called happy, happiness. And, and we began to chase the things that would hopefully make us happy. Persons, stuff, vacations, money, ideas, whatever it is, right? We just wanted things to, to make us happy. And, and there's a reason, I think, for this, and it's pretty simple, and that is that happiness is actually achievable in this life, and happiness, and I know this isn't going to be popular for me to say as a pastor, happiness can be achieved without God. You can be happy in this life, and you can be happy without God. In fact, I'm going to say something that will probably get me more in trouble, and if you have any emails to send me, send those to scott at imrc.org. Um, but I actually think, in this life, you can be happier without God than with God. I really believe that. And here's why I believe that. Now, I didn't say joyful. Well, that's a different game. We're going to catch this in a second, but here's why. I've read the Sermon on the Mount. Right? You, you read the, those three chapters from, from Jesus, and he's like, oh, I'm going to tell you about real blessing. We call them the Beatitudes. And he lists out this series of, hey, you're going to be blessed if you're poor in spirit. You're going to be blessed if you mourn. You're going to be blessed if you're meek. You're going to be blessed if you're persecuted. And I want you to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and love your enemies. I mean, you start to read through that stuff and like, that doesn't sound happy at all. And I go, right. When we do it Jesus' way, we might risk a level of earthly happy, but it's for the sake of this deeper joy that can kind of well up in our person because of him. But in this life, you can be happy without God, and you can be happy just by finding stuff to make you happy. In fact, you can be a really terrible person and even be happy. Jeremiah kind of writes about this in frustration. I love me some Jeremiah. He says, Lord, you always give me justice when I bring a case before you, so let me bring this complaint. You know, one of the things I love when I read different people in the Bible is they had no problem going to God mad. They had no problem showing up and complaining. I love this. I, I had a couple of nights ago, God and I had a knockdown drag out. Right? Where I'm like, I've got issues, and I'm coming to you because I've got issues. And it's almost like a therapeutic thing that sometimes you have to go through. And Jeremiah's doing the same thing. God's a big God. He can handle us being frustrated at times because we don't see the whole story. He does. But Jeremiah is frustrated. And why is he frustrated? He says, why are the wicked so prosperous and avoid their taxes? All right? Why are evil people so happy? 
You ever look sometimes and think that, like, man, why are you getting away with that? How is it? I know, it's sad too. But that's the space he's in. But he's letting us know, man, you can be wicked and you can be happy. Right? Because happiness can be bought. Happiness can be experienced. I mean, for 350 bucks a ticket, you can go to the greatest place, happiest place on earth at Disneyland, and you can have a happy day. Right? Amen. And then you're sad because you're like, no, that's a big debt at the end of the day, you know? I bought a $45 hamburger. All right, that's great. Not so happy. It's happy going down. Wasn't happy looking at my credit card statement at the end of the month. So you can be happy, and you can be happy apart from God. But here's the thing. Um, it's, it's, like, it's like going on a long hike with a small bag filled with really low caloric food. <laughs> right? Like it's not going to sustain you. It's not going to carry you. It's not going to pay off in the end. Like happiness in the world, while it can be achieved, it's like cotton candy walking out into a rainstorm. It's just going to get nasty and just eventually erode. It, it, it's, like a, it's like a match in the wind. It can't hold up to the weight of what life's all about. So the thing about happy is you can get it, and then instantly you can lose it. One day it can be there, and the next day it's gone because the conditions change. And so we chase happy, we seek happy, we want happy, whatever else. But again, it will not hold us in the place that we need. So it's a fragile substitute for joy. It is. So we lost joy. We decided we'll go for happy. Happy doesn't hold us. But then God in his grace says, I'm not giving up on the project. I want you to have joy. I don't want you to just be, be trying to find satisfaction in things that won't satisfy. I want to come on you in my grace. I want to come upon you in my joy. I want to change your world in such a way that you experience what was lost back in Eden. So God starts the project anew. As soon as the man and the woman go out of the garden, God's like, no, we're going to restore this. We're going to bring joy fresh again through my presence. And so God begins to reconstruct a type of Eden. And you see this in the Old Testament, right? So uh, basically the, the concept has to do with um, like when Israel is leaving Egypt and they're going to find a new home. And so Moses is like taking everybody out and you see the book of Exodus where God's like, okay, I'm going to come and dwell among you again. And I'm going to dwell among you in a certain way. We're going to build a tent. It's called the tabernacle. And I'm going to come and dwell in that space. And eventually the tabernacle becomes a temple. And so God moves from a tent to a temple. But the idea is the same. My presence will be there. Just as my presence was in Eden, my presence will be in that place. And if you look at the architecture of the tabernacle and temple, you'll see there's a lot of artistry behind it. And the artistry was things like pomegranates and palms and palm trees and all these things. In other words, God's like, I want this space to look like what the garden looked like. I want to recreate Eden in your space so that you can have a sense of my presence. And so the psalmist is reflecting on this concept. And the psalmist says this, Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. And there I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. So I want to keep pressing this idea that happiness is in conditions, Joy is in presence. 
And so God reestablishes his presence in the world, in the tabernacle, and eventually in the temple, so that people could go to that place, have a sense of God's presence, and from that, retaste joy. Here's the dilemma. You had to go to him. It was only occasional that you would do it, to be pure enough to enter anywhere near that space. You had to go through all these different rituals and ceremonies. It was difficult. It was dangerous. And then it was limited only to the nation of Israel. So joy then came into the world in that Old Testament period, but it was, it was constrained, right? It was reduced to the singular space, and it was inconvenient. And it, God had made a promise we saw the promise back in Genesis 3 that there would be one born of a woman, an offspring that would undo the damage. It was a promise given to Abraham that he would bless the nations again, bring deep joy to the nations, all nations, not just Israel. And so he would make joy possible again. And we see the inbreaking of this joy of God as we pass into the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Scene opens. And it's a group of shepherds out in their fields watching their flocks by night. We know the, the lingo there. We know the story. But it's fascinating to me that God comes to shepherds with this message. Because we think, oh, shepherds, they're cool. They take care of sheep. Everybody likes them. Not back in their culture. Shepherds weren't trusted. They were undereducated. They were seen a little bit as kind of thieving and conniving and sort of hickish and stickish. That's what they were seen as. They were the kind of guys you'd be like, oh, they believe in Sasquatch and they think they're abducted by aliens and they believe in QAnon and they're weird. Like, that's the way they saw shepherds. But it's to those very people that God decides to, to bring this inbreaking of a message. And so it says in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. That's a reasonable thing. And then the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you born this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so again, joy was in Eden because God's presence was in Eden. That was then ripped away from us because of our own decisions. Joy was there then in a limited capacity in a certain space for a certain time for certain people. But now it's breaking out into the world great joy on this particular night as Jesus has been born. And so the angels say, you got to go, you got to see. And so they go and they see Jesus and joy rushes over their person. Why? Because Jesus is God and in the presence of God there is the fullness of joy. And so from this they marvel, they're amazed, and they've changed. Verse 20 says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as been told to them. See, what I love about the story, at least for me, is that it starts with angels rejoicing with great joy, and it ends with the shepherds saying, you know what, we'll take it from here. Right? We'll take it from here. And what's so fantastic about this is they go back to their stinky, cold, kind of cruddy lives. But they go with joy, right? This thing that now cannot be taken away from them. And when you then watch the story of Jesus unfold over the next 33 years, especially that last three years, it's like everywhere he goes, joy breaks out. 
And it breaks out among people whose life conditions were not made better, but their inner person was radically changed, right? So they, like, as soon as they came in contact with him, they're like, man, this world cannot bring me down because your joy in me is rising up. No matter what the world throws at me, no matter what hardship, pain, suffering, grief, loss I take, there was this thing that Jesus did in the lives of people that gave them just this fire of joy in them that cannot be extinguished, no matter what pressures came in life. And what's cool is it wasn't just like, oh, okay, for that season of time 2,000 years ago, joy was in the world, and when Jesus left, so too did joy. No, the whole idea is that Jesus is like, I'm coming into the world so that my joy will remain, right? I came so you could have it, and it would stay in you, in this space, no matter what the world is throwing at you. In fact, Jesus explicitly says this. He says, I have told you the things that I've told you. I've taught you my lessons. I've shown you my example. I've displayed these things. Why? That you will be filled with my joy, and yes, your joy will overflow. Notice the, the circuit there. I've done this so that my joy will be fulfilled, and it becomes then your joy, and then you can go live out that joy. I love this because here's the newsflash. Joy is God's agenda for us. Not heavy, serious, furrowed brow, like, no, he's one. I want you to have joy. That's the thing. See, so I say this because I think sometimes God gets this reputation like, uh, well, if you become a follower of Jesus, he wants to wreck your Friday night and you can no longer have fun. No, that's not it. He doesn't kill joy, he gives joy. Right? He unleashes joy into our lives because he wants to bless, he wants to fulfill. But the key is we have to stay connected. Jesus says it this way, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, I appreciate this because when I think about like Paul in Galatians, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And he has this whole wonderful list of things. But I look at this here and I compare that with, with Jesus' words and, and I go, man, this is the key. Like when I stay connected to Jesus in a real proactive, intentional, daily sort of way, what it produces in me is fruit, his joy in me so that my joy is full. And it has to do with presence because, again, in God's presence is the fullness of joy. In the Old Testament, it was in a garden or it was in a tent or it was in a temple. But when you pass into the New Testament, you suddenly realize you are now the garden. You are now the tent. You are now the temple where his joy is in you. Right? But it means we have to be seeking him. It can't just be like waiting for it to fall from heaven. No, it's this idea of saying, man, I'm going to strive every day to, to take you in, to be in relationship with you, to really seek you out so that your joy then flows in and through my life. What I so appreciate about this is, again, this, this joy can transcend the problems if we seek it. And it's a joy that is rooted in what we know, not simply what we feel. Because again, I have bad days like you have bad days. And I have days where I don't feel happy, but I know when I press into him, I can feel joy. 
because I know what he's done for me and I know what he offers up to me. And I know the key behind all of this is not simply seeking him, but it's also seeking for myself to kind of yield my own wishes, wants, and desires. And instead, I graft in his priorities and agenda, and from that I have joy. In fact, there's this great quote I came across years ago. I love this. It's from Malcolm Muggeridge. He says, I can say that I never knew what joy was until I gave up pursuing happiness or cared to live until I chose to die. He says, for these two discoveries, I am beholden to Jesus. And that's really the key. That joy is found in the presence of God. Jesus is God. Therefore, my joy every day is founded in his presence. I end with this prayer that Jesus prayed for all of us, actually. It's in John 17. And so he says to his father, he says, Now I am coming to you, and I've told them, my disciples, many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. See, he tells us what he tells us, the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, all these different things. He tells us this so that if we do those things, we experience joy. And so from this, he continues to pray. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is the truth. And he says, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world as well. What I, what I deeply love about this is, again, the sense of cycle, right? We were with God in Eden, and there was joy. We were banished from that circumstance, and we lost joy, and we, we tried happy, and it just didn't sustain us. But God says, I will come anew. I will come fresh. I will have my presence with you, and you will have joy again. And Jesus says, I am here to give you a joy so you can take that joy into the world for others. That's the circuit of the story, and that is the essence of this Advent. That God in his grace came for us, and God in his grace dwells with us. God in his grace brings joy to us so that by God's grace, we can bring joy to others. Now right now, I want to encourage everybody just to maybe where you're at, bow your head as I get ready to close here with a word of prayer. But I also want to give kind of an encouragement. I want to give an encouragement to those who are brokenhearted and hurting maybe right now, that joy is available, but it means pressing into his presence, right? Maybe with tears, maybe like with Jeremiah, with frustration, with a complaint, but still going and seeking the joy that he offers. Maybe for some of us watching or in this room, you're like, I'm not a Jesus follower, I'm not a Christian, that isn't a part of my thing, but I also, I lack joy and I want that. And if in God's presence is the fullness of joy, I know I need that. Maybe that's your space and for you, this day is all about you saying, God, I surrender myself to you. I've chased all the wrong things, and I want you to take hold of me. You make that your prayer, and you say, I've, I've, I've gone my own way. I've sinned against you. I've chased a thousand happinesses and found nothing at the end of that. God, I want your true joy. You pray that your way, he receives you. And I would love to know about that. In our app, we have a tile. You can click that tile, and from that, you, you can let us know, man, I made that decision today. We would love to know that. For all of us, Jesus, we approach you with need. We approach you as, as kind of like beggars who know that the, the life that we live in this world is going to have conditions that ebb and flow, good and bad. But we know that you're the anchor in those things. You are the true joy that can be given to us because you are present with us. 
So we look to you and we certainly need you and we love you and we're broken before you. Be our strength, be our peace, be our hope and be our joy. In your name we seek these things.